holy name. You may be seated. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 22. It'll be a lengthy reading, so you can remain seated. And verses 2 through 12. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood of the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to the place of God, that which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. <clears throat> and tonight, with the Lord's help, I'm going to try to teach on a subject, a principle um, in the Bible. Um. In order to excel at something, we, we as individuals, as human beings, we have to exert a little effort, a little more effort sometimes, a little extra effort. Many athletes today or in, in many times past are born with great talent. <clears throat> However, the ones that make it to the top half or 1%, such as Michael Jordan, uh, Roger Staubach, um, Tony Dorsett, uh, Earl Campbell, names like that who make it, make success in their lives, or Jeff Bezos, um, they, do through, they do so through a constant regiment of physical and mental training. Um, there's a golfer by the name of Dustin Johnson. He's the number one golfer in the world. And he dates Wayne Gretzky's daughter. Wayne Gretzky is 
a famous hockey player, for those of you who don't know. And uh, Dustin has always been an awesome golf player, but his wins and losses weren't that great. And so his, his uh, Wayne Gretzky went to him and said, hey, do you really want to win? And he started coaching him mentally how to win. And he's now the number one golfer in the world. Um, our world suppresses us to accept losing or not being above average. An example of that is is politicians. What are they always saying to us? They're expressing, you know, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. Instead of stating there is unlimited opportunity if you study, you dedicate yourself, you work hard, and you fail, and from all that, you can succeed. Uh, there was a famous golfer named Ben Hogan, and Ben Hogan holds many, many records, and uh, he said in an interview one time, he said, I was the worst golfer that ever swung a club at one time in my life, but what people don't know about me is that when I wanted to compete professionally, I would practice 8 to 10 hours a day on the golf range, and the reason I didn't practice longer is because they didn't have lights. So I would hit, I would get up in the morning, and I would go to the range, and I would hit balls all day until it got dark. Then I would go home, move my furniture out of the living room, and chip balls to, to uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night. And that every time that he played in a golf tournament, he always played a round of golf before he played in the tournament every day. He would go to a different course or, or the practice course. And the guy, the interviewer, was shocked. He was astounded. And uh, and Hogan was like, see, you don't know all of the effort that I put into becoming one of the greatest golfers ever. Another story that I think of is the FedEx guy who wrote a paper on a business and later mentioned in an interview that he received a gentleman's C on the paper and who all knows about FedEx today? You know, he was persistent. He exerted himself. It took effort. It took hard work. It took failure. One of the comments that he made was, the reason I got a gentleman's C is because my paper was not that well thought out and laid out, but through hard work and dedication and failing and, and, and redoing and figuring things out, his business became a success. And if we are going to excel as Christians, we must condition ourselves physically and mentally by practicing the things that are in the Bible. And so um, one of the principles that I would like to discuss tonight, and it's probably one of my least favorite ones, is fasting. As you can tell, I don't really care for that too much. <clears throat> and the reason that I read the story about Isaac and Abraham was to illustrate to you that God does honor sacrifice. When we sacrifice to God, it gets his attention, and he honors that. 
for whatever reason, we may bring before God a sacrifice. In this case, Abraham was going to sacrifice his son in obedience to what God had requested him to do. So whether it's in obedience or whether it's in a need or a petition to God or if it's to turn God's wrath or to um, be enlightened by God or for a door to open, God honors your sacrifice. And so many times um, we feel condemned if we do not do it exactly the way textbook perfect. And I, I don't believe that God um, expects that as much as we think he does. That's just my opinion. So realize one thing, that if you sacrifice to God, God honors that. And, and, and also, a sacrifice, once it is offered, cannot be re-offered because it is consumed. And, and so in that thought... When you decide that you are going to perform some type of sacrifice, a sacrificial giving uh, of your time, your finances, uh, whatever it may be, I would, I would strongly suggest that that be done in prayer. Because here, here's, the, here's the issue that can happen, is because if you give that sacrifice with a mindset of, okay, I'm giving this, but I'm going to get it back. I'm giving this because I'm going to see some type of return. I'm, I, am, I am doing this because there's a need. And maybe whenever you perform that sacrifice, it doesn't turn out the way that you thought or it, doesn't be, it isn't applied the way that you thought it could be or should be or, or whatever the manner may be then your feelings get involved and you can that sacrifice can be reversed as a positive into a negative so whenever you whenever you come to a, a point in your life where you want to sacrifice something to the kingdom of god it is it is best that we prayerfully seek god's counsel and we perform our sacrifice so the first thing that I want to look at is the definition of fasting. So the modern-day definition of fasting is abstinence from food and, but it doesn't have to be both, it can be or, water as an element of private or public religious devotion. The Hebrew and the Greek definition is just simply abstain from food. And the reason that I mentioned the Hebrew and the Greek is because the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. <clears throat> and so they have basically the same meaning to abstain from food. And from the research that I did, right, wrong, or indifferent, but the little bit of research that I did, stated that a fasting period was considered to be, and I wish I wouldn't have looked this up because I was good with sun up to sundown. But it says from sundown to sundown. And uh, I don't like their definition, but that's what they stated. 
And um, fasting can be for an assembly, um, something of a unit, or it can be a private matter. Uh, by the ninth century BC, fasting had become institutionalized or formalized to the extent that days or other periods of fasting were called as occasions of public worship. The usual way of describing such convocations is to call for or proclaim a fast. And I don't know if you recall whenever Saul and Jonathan are in the battle and Saul calls for a fast just out of the blue for everybody to not partake of any food or water in their middle in the middle of a battle and Jonathan does and and so it, it was something that could just be proclaimed throughout the 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 region within a tribe within a uh, a community or a town <clears throat> Thus, Jezebel, I didn't realize this, to provide an occasion whereby Naboth would be unjustly accused and condemned, proclaimed a fast in 1 Kings 21 and 9 and 21 and 12. Later, I'm not going to read these scriptures. I'm just going um, to reference them. Jehoshaphat later, with a much more noble motive, called for such an assembly in order to implore God's intercession on Judah's behalf. So um, it was a public matter, and Brother Grant does that every once in a while. He'll say, okay, everybody bow your head. Those who can, will you try to fast this week? And it becomes a public matter. It is a church or, or a unified effort to help us get into a mindset because fasting not only has physical attributes but it has mental attributes as well and we fight mental things as well as physical things to keep us from drawing closer to God uh, the same formula appears in Ezra Ezra's 8 and 21 and Jonah 3 and 5 in the last instance where Jonah was is by the people of Nineveh as an expression of their repentance at Jonah's preaching. How many of you remember what Jonah preached? Exactly what he preached. The Bible says, I think it was a three days journey from where Nineveh began, which was about approximately 60 miles. And so here is Jonah's message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That was it. There was no repent, behold, the judgment. It was yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And therefore, the prophet of God, and you know what he went through to get there, right? You remember? He decided he wasn't going. He was going to get on a ship and get away from God, got chunked overboard, got swallowed up by a big fish, spit out on the dock, on the, on the, after he went down to the depths of hell, he claimed that a fish spit him out, <clears throat> and then he finds his way, and God tells him, okay, hey, bud, I done told you once, go to Nineveh and tell them that I'm going to destroy them, 
But I'm telling you again, so he got up and he marched to Nineveh and he, he, he went down there and he started preaching. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What did the, the, the people of Nineveh do? They proclaimed a fast and they began to fast. And, and we know by the things that, that took place, Jonah was definitely a prophet or, or an instrument of God. To, to proclaim God's word. So whenever he said those words, they were the words of God. I'm going to overthrow this city. I'm going to destroy it. it it's not going to be any more. And back then, they would pillage them. They would tear them down. They would burn them. There would be nothing left. They'd kill all the men and some of the children and enslave everybody else. So when God said it, usually when God says it, it comes to pass, Correct. In this instance, Jonah was proclaiming the word of God, but because the people of Nineveh fasted and repented, God changed his heart and his mind and in what he was going to do. So in order for us to, as I stated earlier, to excel as Christians, we must condition ourselves physically and mentally by practicing the things of the Bible. And this is a powerful point of why we should fast. In, in doing so, we prepare ourselves mentally and physically for God to use us and God to hear us and for us to petition God and God to do great things in our lives and, and among us. As a whole, however... Fasting appears to be a private matter in the Bible. So if you look throughout the Bible, most of the time it was, it, was, it was conditioned as a private matter, an expression of personal devotion linked to three major kinds of crises in life. Lamentation, penance, mourning, and petition. Without exception, it has to do with a sense of need and dependence, of abject helplessness in the face of actual or anticipated calamity. It is in, 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 it is in, in examining these situations that the theological meaning and value of fasting are to be discovered. So some examples of the expression of lamentation or penance for fasting nearly always is associated with weeping. Judges 20 and 26, Esther 4 and 3, Psalm 69 and 10. Joel 2 and 12. And in confession, 1 Samuel 7 and 6, Daniel 9 and 3, and the wearing of sackcloth, 1 Kings 21 and 7, Nehemiah 9 and 1, Esther 4 and 3, Psalm 69 and 10, and Daniel 9 and 3. And we know the story about the king who was the, the, the city was encamped about by Syria, and these ladies come to him and say, hey, we ate my baby, we were going to eat hers, but she's recanted now, and he rips his clothes off, and he's in sackcloth, and he'd been fasting, and the prophet, you know, comes and proclaims that things are going to change, and, and the army's going to be defeated and pushed away, and so when, when, these examples in the Bible, if you go in and you begin to study them, how that these situations and circumstances were changed by people that dedicated themselves, went the extra mile, and they conditioned themselves physically and mentally 
by fasting. When I got in the church, I and one of the reasons I chose this lesson is because when I got into church, I didn't know really what it is. And I was a bull in a china closet, so I just thought it meant, hey, you, you don't go without eating for as long as you can withstand it. <laughs> and so that's what I did, you know, whenever I would fast. But as I got older and wiser, there are proper ways and methods to prepare your body so that it is functionally more advantageous to you and easier to do it. Um, finally, fasting was frequent, frequently associated with supplicatory prayer. Jesus equates supplication and fasting when he teaches that the removal of mountains comes about only by prayer and fasting. We know that, um, you know, there was the incident where Jesus... It's coming down off the mount, and there's these people that are surrounding his disciples, and he comes down off the mount, and he says, what, what's the issue here? What's the problem? What's going on? And <clears throat> there is this lame child. There's this child who's deaf and dumb, and, and the father's just distraught, and he, and he didn't know what to do, and he, he said, you know, that his son oftentimes throws himself in the fire, and and he, he needed help, and he needed assistance, and Jesus cast the Spirit out of him. And later on, the prophets came to Jesus, and they said, why could we not do that? What was the problem with us? Where, where were we lacking? And he looked at them, and he said, this kind cometh out only by prayer and fasting. So there are situations and circumstances and, and that, that we come up against in our life that require that extra sacrifice and that extra um, dedication to overcome. The, co the godly prophetess Anna looked for the redemption of Israel with supplicatory prayer and fasting in Luke 2 and 37. Before Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for the various churches, they committed them to the Lord with prayer and fasting, Acts 14 and 23. All these instances, there is a clear implication that fasting is an effective adjunct to a petition. So when we add fasting with our prayer, it has an effect on God, and God moves in a, in a mighty way. So the preparation of performing a fast. So when I was younger, when I got in the church in my in my twenties, my mid twenties, early twenties, whatever that was, I worked in the shipyard, and I thought, hey, you know, you go without eating as long as you can stand it, and and I can remember many days. You know, the first day it isn't so bad. The second day, the dry heaves come. A lot of you know what I'm talking about. The third day is really rough because your mind plays tricks on you and you can't focus and you can't, um, you, you're weak. And after that, I think all the chemicals and the detox takes place. And after the third day, it's not really so bad. But later on in life, I learned that 
that was probably not the best physical um the best physical uh way that I could uh perform fasting so what I would do then is like if I was to go on an extended fast say 7 days or 3 days I would start out by drinking just water and then maybe add juice to like this water bottle, fill it up to here and add some juice to it and just sip on that juice throughout the day and not just jug it up and chug-a-lug it. But that would help my mental state so that I could function at work and I could continue to work and I would have a little bit of strength as well. I don't know if any of you have ever worked in a shipyard working in the double bottoms of a ship where it's like 140 degrees and there's no there's no fan, there's no heat, there's no... no uh, no air, no draft, and you're welding, and you can't see your hand in front of you because there's so many welders in there, and it's pretty bad. And so um, you you shouldn't put your, I don't think you should put your body in that kind of jeopardy if you're working on a construction job. Can God, can God say, okay, um, you go without fat you go fasting without water or food absolutely he did it with Moses he did it with Elijah and Jesus himself did it but i forgot how many days it was before your body shuts down if you don't drink any water so it has to be a god thing it is a sacrifice and as i said in the beginning when you get ready to make that kind of commitment and that kind of sacrifice to god you need it needs to come from god because you need to be responsible in what you're doing. So the preparation, that this is some of the stuff that I found. The first thing one should do is stop drinking anything with caffeine in it. Coffee, tea, um, herbal teas may be beneficial, it says. Soda pop in the week preceding any fast. So if you get ready to go on a fast, whether it's a one-day fast, whether it's an extended fast, whether it's half a day, whatever, the recommendation is stop drinking any caffeine, taking any caffeine, and this will help purify your body and flush your system and get you ready to be able to successfully. Because I don't know if any of you have ever had that headache when you just stop cold turkey and say, I'm going to fast for three days and have any of you ever experienced that? It is no fun. And this is a way to, to, to remedy that. And it says one should drink purified, pure filtered water, not, bo- not bottled water. I don't know what the difference is, but you can look it up. Um, just before you begin your fast, so you will be adequately hydrated and will not get a headache or other ailments. There are people that have physical conditions that they recommend you do not fast without first consulting a physician. Diabetes is one of them. If you're on medications that are regulating some type of, uh, of problem that you typically have, like, say, blood pressure medicine, if you can't... Um, if you can't uh, take that medication without having to eat, you should first consult a physician. Now, I've heard of many incidents where people, you know, they sought the Lord, the Lord 
you know, directed them, led them to go on a fast, and God healed them of their ailment or whatever this chronic disease is. But those are the exceptions and not the rules. And I'm not saying that God can't do all of that. He can. He is able. He is more than able. However, I think myself, personally, we should be responsible when we do this. And if God instructs you to do that, then God's going to take care of you. But if you're doing it as a penance or if you're doing it as a petition, just take some precautions and make sure that your health will be intact when you get done. Uh, You should consult your doctor or other medical professionals. Um, Fasting is meant to be a private act between us and God. We are warned by Jesus himself not to be proud of or boast to others that we are fasting in the hope they will think we are spiritual and close to God. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Myself, I believe that when you do that, away the effects of what it's going to give you spiritually in the spiritual realm. Instead of reaping all the benefits, you hinder some of the benefits because it's a private matter between you and God. Now, I have a book here that's that's written by um, uh, Sister Haney, I think, Joy Haney. And it just is simply titled, When You Fast. And um, she said that there are many different types of fast. Um, That's debatable. The early church, Paul and others made mention that they fasted, but not how. Most of the Old Testament fasts were three days without food or water. Now, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus went on 40-day fasts. But they were strengthened by the Lord. Those were those were ordained of the Lord. Daniel went to lengthy fasts consisting of ten days, and they're referencing the time that the king came in and said that he wanted to feed these kids um, uh, meats and stuff from the king's table. And Daniel said, "No, just give us lentils and water." They consider that she considers that a fast. I never I never interpreted it that way. And then. Uh, there was a 21-day fast that Daniel went on. Um, you know, one of the things about fasting is it's not intended for it to be a guilt trip or for us to feel um, uh, despondent while we're doing it. And what I mean by that is, in the event that you're on a fast and you you forget. I mean, you're in the middle of everything, and, and if you really want to have a boring day, go ahead and fast, and you'll realize how much time you take throughout your day to eat. And you pop something in your mouth, you know, a mint or a piece of fruit or, or take a bite of a sandwich, and then you remember, oh, I was supposed to fast. It's okay to go ahead and, and stop right there. And keep going because God honors our sacrifice and God knows that it was not intentional, even though mine might have been. (laughs) So one of the things that I used to do is get different flavored toothpaste (laughs) to try to help. (laughs) 
I think I might have drank out of the tube. <laughs> but no, honestly, don't don't just throw. You know, you've 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 dedicated yourself. You've 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 prepared yourself, and you've got yourself ready, and and you've you know dedicated this time to God as a sacrifice. And you make a slip up, it's okay. Just keep, you know, put everything down, push it aside, and keep going. And God honors that. God honors whatever we can do. And that's one of the things that that I like about Brother Grant whenever he says, you know, those of you who can, will you attempt to fast this week? One of my problems at work is there's many times when I'm taking clients out to eat or somebody will call me and say, hey, we need to do this. And it always, you know, revolves or involves a meal. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll fast from lunch to lunch. That's easiest for me. But it, what I try to do is, is make it a 24-hour period, whatever I, whatever I decide to do. Um, when, when you do decide to go on an extended fast, she states in here that it's very hard for you to maintain your strength. And if you work in a physical job, it is very difficult and she says that, you know, bring some raisins and maybe eat a raisin or two or or some nuts and and maybe some honey. These things are healthy for you and you know, you don't want to gorge yourself on them, but it helps you to get over the hump and and keep going and and make it throughout the day and through your fast. And like I said, on after the third day, it's not so bad. It really isn't. You're you're really not hungry. I don't know if you're stomach shrinks or what and your mind is adjusted and I guess you're detoxed a little better and and so going past the third day I'm not saying you're not hungry because you are but it's not as bad the first three days are the worst um so the one of the things that she says here is you know if you mess up remember we're human we we don't feel guilty. Just press through and keep going. So she lists the different types of fasts here. She says type one is no food or water. And this is not advised for long periods because of the toxins in the body that are released when fasting. They need to be flushed out. Note that all these types of fasts were never over three days except the three who were given supernatural power to strengthen them, which were Moses, um, Elisha, and Jesus. It is advisable to drink water because of modern-day pollution and preservatives in the body. They need to be flushed out. And even today, um, a lot of dietitians are putting people on fast. And some of the research that I, that I dug up said that there are some places that they will, um, they will recommend a 60 calorie a day diet my doctor told me that i should go on a 2000 a calorie a day diet and i said i eat that for breakfast <laughs> so 60 calories really oh yeah that's a fast as far as i'm concerned type 2 is water only type 3 is a 3 day with water honey and lemon and what she says that this is um, this fast here 
is probably one of the best fasts because what it does is it gives you strength, but you're you're not partaking of any food. You're mixing a little honey with some warm water and a squeezed lemon, half a lemon and for a little bit of taste. But the lemon detoxes your body for health, and the water helps flush the detoxes out. So then there was, she, she listed a juice fast, a combination fast of juices and herbals, and then the Daniel 10-day fast where he ate lentils and water only, and then his 21-day fast, which they claim that, that uh, it appears Daniel ate no bread, desserts, juices, or meat. There's no mention of fruits and vegetables, so some think that he ate fruits and vegetables. And then there's the type A, water for three days, then broth on the fourth, um, drink water again the next two days, and then broth. And so I believe that God will honor any of our sacrifices. And to go cold turkey, no water, no food, is difficult. It is very difficult. And um, I would suggest that you condition your body you flush your system, eliminate the caffeine, and then if you want to go on a one, two, three-day extended fast with no food and water, it's very difficult, but you can. But I really like the lemon and the honey and the water, um, half a glass of water with lemon honey. And um, one, of the, one of the articles that I read while I was doing the research stated that the main purpose of a fast is to keep you from eating solid foods. So uh, there's a lot of opinions out there. There's a lot of um, uh, different ideas out there. But I believe that if we dedicate ourselves and we do it unto God and we do it with uh, a pure heart and with God involved, that God will honor the sacrifice of whatever the need is we, we have. Thank you so much for your attention. I'm sorry I went a little long, but I thought it was an interesting topic, and I wanted to um, bring you all the points. Uh, you're dis Brother Grant, you good? All right. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. See you Sunday morning.